1: The NFL divisional round is in the books. And we're going to talk about that on today's Road of Is Overtime. Excited to jump into this very, very swiftly, Sean. Of course, my name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co host is Sean Siegel, who you can check out all his work on rodoviz.com. This was a week, Sean. Your Chiefs get the win. I know you were concerned last week. You were talking up the Jaguars, their opportunities with the Chiefs. Get that W. Obviously, then we get them facing off with the Cincinnati Bengals, who win on the road against the Buffalo Bills. Ice in those veins of Joe Burrow as the snow was tumbling down there in Buffalo. And then we get the, the Eagles taking care of business. They get the bye week, and they they really just smash the Giants. And we're going to talk about all the games all the way through on today's show. We're also going to talk a little bit about 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys. But again, 49ers took care of business. It felt like they always had them add a little bit of an arm's reach sean we had a couple of teams in our playoff contest this week that either just missed the hurdle to 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 advance or to or were just below the the kind of the main points totals where you'd want to be in some of the ffpc contest but you and ben are in a a pretty nice spot with one of yours you were telling me before things kicked off so i know that you and him are excited you're going to record an early stealing bananas this week for the the listeners over there how is that team looking are we Give, give us a sneak preview how's how's it looking? how's it shaping up
2: well it's, it's shaping up pretty well it is going to be one of those close but not quite situations but very exciting ben and i will dive a little bit more into that in a special episode of Sea bananas and just obviously go over the games things that we saw things that we would have liked to have seen all of that type of thing a little bit later today or tomorrow morning depending on exactly when you're getting the show but Col. And again, the playoff contests are so fun. You and I had a blast putting some teams together. Our team for the playoff contest one is in 247th, and that is a very nice spot. I'm excited about that. We still have four very good players going. Obviously, Josh Allen goes out. That will have a big impact on how these contests go down the stretch. We have Devontae Smith. I also have Devontae Smith with Bjorn Yang Barnett, with whom I put together a team, Bjorn, Was really the the man behind that one. That team way up in the FBG contest. Another team with Smith. Obviously with Jalen Hurts looking so good in the first game here. He has the potential to be really the trump card in the FPC contest down the stretch. But if Smith ends up still being the guy. Again, Josh Allen scored enough in the first two games that if we can get concentration on smith going forward those teams will still look good also our gauntlet team as you mentioned close but not quite this one was sort of bittersweet for me in terms of how this weekend went because you and i did a bunch of content on how 49ers bangles was the way to play that contest had a lot of content on the site about that as well have a lot of teams built that way And again, sort of a close but not quite situation where the team that you could build that would really look like a super team would be that Christian McCaffrey with Burrow falling to you in the second round. Again, this is early on in the gauntlet drafting, not like the week before the season as Burrow's ADP rose. It was interesting to watch how these things progressed, especially in hindsight, knowing what the Bengals were able to do in the divisional round. He got more expensive through the first version of the contest. And then at times he got very inexpensive during the second portion of the contest because you have the injuries to the offensive line. Those didn't come into play. But the super team that you could build was Christian McCaffrey, Joe Burrow, T. Higgins. Colin T. Higgins has been a massive bust through By two weeks. So, I yeah, I mean, if you have some teams through with him, and I do still have one or two, I mean, you got a little bit of leverage on the field there because it's hard to get through a player who hasn't scored any points. But the other element was that if you played a lot of Purdy, which we also did, and that was our team that we were hoping would get through in the gauntlet, he was finally slowed down by this elite Dallas defense, or at least the inconsistent but occasionally ferocious Dallas defense. They'd given up some big scores in the last month to six weeks, but they did challenge the rookie, and he He struggled. He looked like a rookie for the first time. We can go a little bit in reverse order here, starting with this 49ers-Cowboys game. The question is, can Dak Prescott handle the big stage? Can he handle pressure? The answer was pretty unequivocal in that at least for one more game, he could not. And it's not fair to look at this game and say, you know, Dak Prescott, not a good quarterback as a result. The 49ers, an unbelievable defense. And yet, when you have this Cowboys team and you have all of the talent, you have your own star defense, you're Dak Prescott, you're facing Mr. Irrelevant. I mean, this is the game where you have to come through. And like the week 18 game against the commanders,
1: he, he was bad. He was bad. I think this is as much to say about the 49ers defense though, as it is about the, the Cowboys and their passing attack. I, I also think that Dak Prescott is much closer to the Kirk Cousins kind of tear of quarterback than Dallas Cowboys fans would want you to say and that they would want to admit I think that he is above average but I think he's right at that line of average and you're going to get those weeks where you have the spectacular performances like we've seen last week you're going to see the weeks then like the commanders and this here performance as well so there is going to be that up and down and there's going to be a little bit of a lack of consistency in there and he's going to be sometimes raised by the the performances of the players around him again to compare him to Kirk Cousins we see and Justin Jefferson has those monster performances. Obviously, that's going to help Kirk Cousins, but similarly with when C.D. Lamb is, is ball out like he did here, that was kind of the one bright spot on this Cowboys offense was his performance, and Dalton Schultz has had a nice playoff run, but it wasn't going to be enough to get it done. The running game did absolutely nothing in this. Again, I think that's mainly down to the 49ers and their uh, defense as a whole. And I do think this was one where, although people may have thought heading into it the cowboys will have an opportunity against this 49ers team i think just on paper and on the field i think that the 49ers are just superior in so many ways i think they they also struggled in this game against that dallas defense but i think they had enough ways to work around it to get the job done and what was a a relatively low scoring game neither team hitting 20 points 19 to 12 being the final score the other disappointing note sean coming out of this is Tony Pollard suffering a high ankle sprain and also a leg break, which will require surgery, which is obviously disappointing. The timeline seems to be in that kind of three to four-month time frame and him heading into free agency here. You know, a lot of question marks around that, which is, you know, he's one of our favorite guys, Sean, to see him pick up that injury here in the playoffs is a, a tough one for them moving forward. But you started off with the, the Dak Prescott side of things. I think he struggled, but it's one of those where I, I think this is a, a Dak Prescott for performance that, we can expect to see from time to time
2: you can and the cowboys are going to need to continue to get him more weapons when they're playing the softer teams you're able to exploit so many different areas and you don't need those additional pieces but you come into this game here and it's very clear it's going to be Lam and Schultz, and they have nobody else Noel brown finishes third in receiving yards they signed ty hilton he was able to make a few plays for them down the stretch but not an impact player at this level of gain, this level of importance as you go.
1: 37 pass attempts shot in this game from Prescott, 23 of those going to Schultz and Lamb. So like you're saying, you know, there's too too easy for the defense then to focus on that. And there's not enough talented pieces on this offense to help provide Prescott with those additional options.
2: It'll be interesting to see what Michael Gallup does when he's another year removed from his injury. The expectations for him in some ways this season we're always going to be difficult to live up to. We're always going to be a little bit unfair. He's injured in last year's playoffs, and then you come back, and you're coming back on a short time. But in this game, three targets, zero receptions. I mean, Gallup is the guy who is supposed to be that extra piece for them, and at least at this point, he's not there. One of the things we talked about, C.D. Lamb, a great matchup against the 49ers, even though the 49ers have this elite defense, if there's a place you can beat them, it's through that star wide receiver. He goes out and does everything he possibly can. He's making catches with what appeared to be a dislocated finger. He's making catches through pass interference. He's making long plays for the 46 yards. He's making these underneath catches. He's taking into rounds to convert fourth downs. I mean, this is the version of Lamb that we had ranked really high before the season. This is the version of Lamb that I was terrified we were not going to get after the Week 1 bust, another one of those games where Dak Prescott did not perform particularly well. CeeDee Lamb, with this playoff performance, very clearly cements himself in that tier just behind Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I think when you're looking at that next group, for me, especially when you adjust for the caliber of quarterback quarterback, You're more or less now looking at Garrett Wilson and probably CeeDee Lamb, and then there's probably another gap below those guys. Now, the next wave after them is closer to them than than they are to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I mean, those guys are just in the stratosphere that you you can't even get close to. But Lamb now, to be that dynasty guy, and also when you look to the 2023 drafts, look to that first round, I think CeeDee Lamb has to be there. At the back end, if nothing else, you start to think about how you can build a $1 million underdog best ball mania team like King Cap did this most recent season. C.D. Lamb, one of those players who at that 1-2 turn, I mean, he could be the guy that is the foundation piece for accomplishing that this year. Again, that was a zero RB team. Lamb, I think... Just such a high floor and now a high ceiling. We talk about the ceiling perspective, both from a full year perspective and an individual game perspective. As this team continues to develop, and I mean, this isn't the end of the road for these guys by any stretch, it's not the end of things for Dak Prescott. I mean, he's going to be a very good and dynamic quarterback, especially from a fantasy perspective going forward. You take a game like this for Lamb, add a couple touchdowns, think about that being in week 17 next year, and maybe you're looking at the $2 million as a result of what lamb has done couldn't be more impressed with him in this game on the other side i mean the 49ers were also very disappointing but it is a lesson in what the value of just so much star depth can mean because they stopped both of the running backs due to some issues christian mccaffrey is having during the game and just that they don't want to overwork him if they are going to go through which they barely did Elijah Mitchell ends up with more carries. He ends up with more yards. But both of these guys held below four yards per carry, despite the elite scheme of this 49ers offense. Then you look to the other side and Debo Samuel. He's limited as a rusher. He's limited as a receiver. Brandon Ayuk, someone who again was kind of fun in terms of building these 49ers, Bengals, gauntlet teams. I mean, he does not two for 26. So he's another guy who's just knocking you out of that, (laughs) even though, the 49ers go through when you corral McCaffrey you corral Samuel you corral Ayuk, you expect to win right but you get a pretty solid game from George Kittle he has the long juggling reception late and the difference here is that as the game ended up being a defensive slugfest Brock Purdy not impressive but zero interceptions the two picks for Prescott you end up having this 19-12 finish
1: yeah, and it's kind of this game feels like a little bit like you know history being written by the victor, and I know it's the sports media that's doing it, but you know Dak Prescott wasn't that much worse. I don't think than Brock Purdy in this game, and if that pass that he does to George Kittle isn't complete, then I'm putting that completion pretty much you know ninety nine percent on George Kittle's ability to catch the ball on the move and then you know kind of juggle it and avoid the the hit from the defensive back. You know the game then and the game. the the outlook after it becomes much different with what people are talking about with how this 49ers defense or offense played against the Cowboys defense but I also think they have been really legit on defense all year long so the 49ers advance and uh, they're going to face off against the Eagles I think quite clearly the two best teams in the NFC all season long I think on the other side when we get to that you could say there was definitely a top three one of those teams in the Buffalo Bills losing out this week so I think we have Pretty much, you know, at least four of the the top five teams true here to the championship games. With the Eagles, took care of business. They they blew out the Giants well and truly. It was twenty-eight to zip at halftime. They went thirty-eight to seven in this one. Jalen Hurts didn't have to do much through the air, but his two passing touchdowns, one hundred and fifty-four passing yards, get some yards on the ground, gets the rushing touchdown. Uh, he goes nine for 34 and one on the ground Boston Scott gets his customary touchdown against the New York Giants Kenneth Gainwell sealed the game well the game was already sealed but he gets that rushing touchdown at the end he goes for 112 yards on 12 carries one touchdown Miles Sanders has 90 yards rushing on 17 attempts Devontae Smith you mentioned earlier 63 or 61 yards six receptions one touchdown Luck, really good Devontae Smith over the last kind of month to six weeks has looked kind of a little bit like you were talking about CD Lamb there. Looked like everything that we were hoping that he would be in the preseason, looking really explosive. Dallas Goddard back in the lineup after his timeout with injury, five for fifty at one touchdown for him. Quite day for AJ Brown. But even for example, on the Devontae Smith touchdown, this isn't going to show up in a fantasy stat or in a lot of box scores, but he has uh, you know, the the block that seals the the opportunity for Devontae Smith to get in the end zone on that, for example. And the other thing that is a little bit of a, you know, boring thing, I think, to talk about, we've talked Sean about the Philadelphia Eagles' ability to do the quarterback sneak and how it has been so effective. They added a little wrinkle to this where instead of going for the quarterback sneak, they set it up and they they pitched it off, which I thought was another nice thing just to put on tape for teams to have to be able to try and game plan for moving forward here in these last two games if they make it to the Super Bowl. So I thought the Eagles just looked You know, fantastic. There's times where after these bye week games, we've seen teams, my Green Bay Packers, for example, have stumbled out of the gates and haven't been able to to get the win. There was nothing like that happening here with the Philadelphia Eagles. And we have talked a lot about Daniel Jones on the show in recent weeks, and he has looked really good in those performances. Again, I think this is down to game script, down to the Eagles defense, what they were able to force the Giants to do. But we don't really see anything from Saquon Barkley in this game. We don't see anything of you know, positive really from Daniel Jones overall. What were your thoughts, I guess, more so on the, the giant side of things and the Eagles side? Because the Eagles just you know got the job done and, and were able to pack up their bags and head home.
2: Yeah, I, it's unfortunate that the game gets out of hand so quickly and that the Eagles offense is so good and it is so good.
1: And we've seen this in many games this year. They are so good that, you know, by that third quarter, you're like, yeah, I'm probably not getting any more fantasy points from these guys. Yeah.
2: Unless it's Kenneth Gainwell with a, a touchdown at the end to <sighs> knock you out of a tournament. Yeah, I mean, these these tournaments are so fun and there's so much scoreboard watching, and, and that part of it is great. You do have all of these little anecdotes that save up in the back of your mind, hopefully to be washed away pretty quickly. That Kenneth Gainwell touchdown knocked out an awesome team that I would have had going through. So. Wow. And, and as it's going there in, in garbage time you're like just like get down for these guys just let the game end and you have that play but gainwell i mean the reason that he was on the zero rb candidates list was because of games like this we weren't hoping that it would be at this moment actually but <laughs> kenneth gainwell a fairly talented player but no you look at the the giant side and this is a situation where because you get blown out so quickly and that's on the giant's defense a defense that has more or less struggled this year when you look at what the giants did to make the playoffs and then win that first round game against a very solid team just a fantastic coaching job because you're dealing with a defense that is not particularly good and is not going to limit opponents and you're dealing with an offensive cast of characters that has almost no talent outside of Barkley and then this rising version of Daniel Jones the problem comes in when you get blown out because this isn't a team right now that is built in any way, shape or form to come back from that. We talked last week about Daniel Jones and how they were able to get him on the edge as a runner, that that dual threat ability was a big part of their victory. That doesn't come into play in this game. Last week, they were able to get Saquon Barkley out and use him effectively as a receiver. That doesn't come into play in this game. we talk about how great the the coaching staff was and the job that they did. I do think it's, a little bit of a debacle to be in this game and have Saquon Barkley only have three targets, only have the nine carries. Now he was benched at the end of the game when they're blown out so that he doesn't get hurt going into next season. He's a crucial piece, but 12 touches. It it seems non-competitive in terms of what you did in this particular game. The other element then that you're dealing with is that the things that Daniel Jones has done are going to be harder to do against this elite Philadelphia pass defense. Ben and I talked on the, Stealing bananas episode to finish out last week. Some of the different metrics that they have in the advanced team stat Explorer, Some of the things that that means in terms of where they are in the passing matchup rater, Isaiah Hodgins, who was the big star of wildcard weekend only has the two targets. He has one pass for three yards. His PMR rating was just catastrophic. It basically said that this exact thing was going to happen. Now, I mean, you want someone who has been such a great story like Hodgins to push through that, make some plays, you know, carry them to some type of storybook ending, if not a victory, at least a more exciting game than this. But again, I mean, you're dealing with a defense that just doesn't let you do those things. So Daniel Jones, disappointing in this game. He misses Richie James late. Ben and I will talk a little bit about that on Stealing Bananas. But uh, this is the way this game was going to go as soon as the Eagles come out and blitz them. We talk about the 49ers and all of the pieces that they put together on their offense. One of the things that was just glaringly obvious this week is that you had the 49ers on all of those weapons. You have the Eagles with all of their weapons and the big acquisition of A.J. Brown. Yeah, he didn't do anything in this game, but one of the reasons that Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard are unstoppable is because you have to account for A.J. Brown first. So I mean, a huge part of this, as you say, you look at the Cincinnati Bengals with both Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and then you contrast that with some of the teams that lost that are built around an elite quarterback, or built around a quarterback in one piece. Now, the Chiefs are a quarterback in one piece, and they did make it through. But 49ers, Eagles, Bengals, I mean, mean—they're the reason that these are three of the four teams in the finals.
1: Yeah, the other thing, Sean, one maybe silver line on this. What I was thinking with how much the Giants struggled in this, I was thinking we make it a nice discount here on Daniel Jones in 2023 drafts in basketball. I think that's what we're looking at here, isn't it?
2: it is it is every, every clock you know, we'll every see what cloud. they do
1: in the yeah, offseason. Might i mean they need, they need
2: they need two more wide receivers and it's difficult one of the reasons why you don't want to get down at receiver and one of the things that really hurt the ravens when they move marquise brown one of the things that got the titans gm fired when they move aj brown is you don't want to have those dips you want to have all of the reinforcements You say yeah traylon berksley's going to be a star down the road but in the interim, your team really struggles. Your quarterbacks are hung out to dry. Your development for all of these guys is stalled. And the, the Giants decided to move away from Kadarius Tony. We'll see if that ends up being the right move. The Chiefs haven't gotten anything amazing out of him at this point. Anyway, still very open in terms of which direction that trade will go. But the Giants need multiple pieces.
1: And let's move to talk about Kadarius Toney and the Kansas City Chiefs now when you mentioned that. He actually was the second highest targeted player behind Travis Kelsey in this contest with seven targets. Did just turn that into five for 36 though. Travis Kelsey, Sean, talk about a day for a tight end. This guy is up there all time at the tight end position. This was an all-time tight end playoff performance. 17 targets, 14 receptions. He didn't crack 100 yards. He finishes with 98. He gets two touchdowns. A lot of this coming pretty early in the day as well. And that also factored into a game where there was a quarterback situation with Patrick Mahomes for a little bit. Chad Henney comes in through seven passes. He gets a touchdown in it as well. Mahomes has two touchdowns, 195 yards passing. Has that high ankle sprain that, you know, obviously he's not going to be at 100% this coming week when they do face off against the Cincinnati Bengals. But Sean... uh, i think he showed a huge amount of toughness in this game and and hopefully there's no further damage from playing through those snaps but they get the job done 27 20 against the jacksonville jaguars trevor lawrence had some struggles in this played well kind of start out and you know kind of some of those strains that we're going to continue to see as he's in that second year but again major leaps from what we were seeing from him this time last season Etienne has a pretty nice game overall zay christian kirk pretty solid you know i've i've been impressed with what jacksonville have been able to do all year and i know you thought they they could beat the the chiefs here i thought it was gonna be a step too far but i have been impressed with what they've been able to develop this year kind of nurture some of that young talent along on this roster but this is this is all about the kansas city chiefs and, and what they were able to do but like we talked about with some of the other teams this week there was a lot of games where outside of certain individual key pieces everything was pretty flat for example in this one we get zay jones he has 83 yards five receptions the difference in him and christian kirk really in this one is kirk gets the touchdown he has 52 yards seven receptions the touchdown we don't get a huge amount from evan ingram on the other side i mentioned tony then you've judy smith schuster with the two receptions nothing really else happening MVS gets a touchdown but it's a only reception for six yards so it's pretty flat across the board i think the key piece for a lot of fantasy contests this week was definitely Travis Kelsey and he, he was head and shoulders the the kind of MVP of the divisional round with, with his performance.
2: Yeah, and you look at where he was going in the, the underdog drafts and it's a little bit difficult to countenance because he's going in the first round even though you can't put him with Patrick Mahomes even though that's a half PPR format as opposed to the tight end premium. Yeah. He's been on uh, not really a cold streak per se he still scores a ton of points but has not been as hot as he was early in the season he came on in a big touchdown drought and you're thinking to yourself really all the Jaguars have to do to win this game especially once Patrick Mahomes gets hurt is you have to limit Travis Kelsey and that's one of those things that's easier said than done because <laughs> the it doesn't matter how athletic your linebacker is can't cover him it doesn't matter how big your safety is, can't cover him. Obviously, a corner is going to be a physical mismatch, but you have to have a gimmick defense coming into this game that uses multiple players together to stop this man. You can't come out of this game where he has 17 targets and 14 receptions. Your defensive coordinator just has to be fired after the game. Now, I say that mostly in jest. The Jaguars defense has been a big part of their arrival. They've played well over the second half of the season. The coaching staff has done a fantastic job for the Jaguars. But one of the things that you do see a little bit more in the AFC West, and one of the things that the Raiders sort of hilariously did, except right on the goal line in some of their games, was you use double teams throughout the game, and you make the Chiefs beat you with somebody else because they don't have other good players. This is yet another weekend where it's just so obvious that the Chiefs' draft picks around Patrick Mahomes have been ridiculously bad. They have so many guys they could have had on this team that they. Decided not to take. I mean, Sky Moore, he gets a manufactured target in this game. He gets a carry in this game. Both times he shows no ability with the ball in his hands. Again, it's good tackling by the Jaguars. You're not going to make a big play every time out. Jared McKinnon also shut down in this game, and we know that he's made plenty of plays this season. (laughs) But George Pickens, sitting right there, you trade out of it for no particular reason, you pass on a superstar for a guy who is not even a good backup. The Jaguars have to come out and stop Travis Kelsey. That that part, I think, is is pretty mind-boggling. On their side, a disappointing performance from Trevor Lawrence. The Chiefs' defense is better than people realize. They really get after you with the pass rush. That's one of the things that jumps out in the Advanced Team Stat Explorer. Some of the numbers that they give up are simply because you have to go out and attack them. You can't try and kill the clock. You can't try and sit back and just hope the game goes in your favor. You're going to have to score some points. The Chiefs always do. I mean, Chad Hennie throws a touchdown in this game, right? When Chad Hennie goes in, the offense still functions fine. I mean, that's how good Andy Reid is. Because especially once you have Chad Hennie in the game, you have no talent out there on this offense. But you're going to have to You still have Travis Kelsey. Yes, you still do have Travis Kelsey. And and maybe it's just the wrong way to look at him. Maybe he is the greatest player. I mean, maybe he's the greatest skill position player of all time. And maybe thinking about Randy Moss, and Jerry Rice and those types of guys, Barry Sanders, I mean, maybe those guys are all well below Travis Kelsey. I mean, this game would argue that they are. And I
1: don't I don't think though we have to argue like in those terms, but I do think there is a case to be made based on individual players at the positions having dominant stretches of let's say five years that they are just untouchable by any other player in the league. And obviously, since Robin Kowski finished up with the Patriots and kind of went. From his peak of what he was. I know he came back for the stretch with the Buccaneers, but nobody has really touched him. And if you look at the tight end position, there is like five, you know, you can name on one hand the players who have come close to doing anything like Kelsey has done. We say that at the wide it's very hard to say who's the best ever. I think it's much easier to say like this guy is legitimately top five all time. And I think Travis Kelsey is right at the the high end off that. It is a situation you mentioned about how some of the teams have built through the draft and have even if it is true trades like the Eagles have multiple pieces that it's very hard for defense to cope with I think what Mahomes has done this year is amazing with the players that they have surrounded him with and it's kind of one of those things where if they don't have Travis Kelsey this team is nowhere near as dynamic there's two players making this engine run and then that is paired with amazing head coaching from Andy Reid who you just mentioned so there's a, there's a couple of players here. I think you know, you've know you touched on it a few times over the, the past year and a half or so, but Patrick Mahomes is probably going to be a top five quarterback all time. Let's just go with top five all time when he finishes up. We also have Travis Kelsey, who's top five tight end all time. And I think that when Andy Reid finishes things up, and particularly if he wins the Super Bowl this year, he's top five all time at the coaching position. So there is a couple of very special people making this Chiefs engine run here at the moment.
2: And... Uh, it's about the mental toughness as well i mean i i think that we can go higher than top five for travis kelsey he's just it, what he's done is so ridiculous and he's doing it at 33 <laughs> right i mean
1: probably the two similar though is he redefining the rules of what tight ends can do like what you know tom brady is playing at 45 and people would have said 10 years ago that is not possible are we going to see travis kelsey doing this when he's 37
2: i i think quite possibly. You've seen some tight ends do it in the past. I mean, Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates, one of the reasons why, you know, we joke about Antonio Gates and, you know, carrying around the pianos and whatnot, is he still like playing in his seventies or something like that. And you're like, that's 70 year old Antonio Gates. And he's still, I mean, he he can't really run forward, but he's still is leading the team of targets. (laughs) The the tight ends have been able to do it, but just because there have been some tight ends historically that did it. I don't think that that in any way diminishes uh, what it just, an incredible accomplishment it is for an older player. And as all of these things develop, the breakthroughs in small things like nutrition, a wide variety of exercise related types of things, fitness, the ability to make your body last and to take care of it well. And I mean, you hear stories about Travis Kelso. We don't even know this necessarily what, what he is doing. I mean, he seems to be very much in that sort of Gronkian and seize the day type of mold, but one of the things you can do too, when you're a famous football player, you can kind of seize the day and kind of take care of yourself at the same time. You have lots of (laughs) options there, but you know, the the two players who really stand out in my lifetime as a, a football viewer are Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson. Obviously I'm a little bit biased because those are lions. They had retired well before this time period because the NFL is, is difficult. It's dangerous. Calvin Johnson had plenty of issues with concussions that were evidently covered up. Barry Sanders as a running back is taking all of those brutal hits and the wear and tear on your body all of the time. Travis Kelsey, I mean, he's having his best season at age <laughs> 33. And so, yeah, I just you just kind of marvel at it. It's not something where you, you just marvel at it. So he does that. Trevor Lawrence, a little bit disappointing. I thought that he would play better in this game, but you do see the value of the balanced weapons. You mentioned Zay Jones, Christian Kirk. They needed to get Evan Ingram a little bit more involved. At one point, they schemed him a bunch of short passes, trying to give him some run after the catch. That didn't really develop into the types of breakaway plays, perhaps, that they needed. Travis Etienne was fantastic in this game. Similar to the situation that we were talking about with Saquon Barkley, a little disappointing that they didn't use him more. 10 carries, the 60 yards, the touchdown. He is actually involved a little bit in the receiving game, which thank goodness it's been really difficult to understand what they're doing there. At the same time, Jamal Agnew, and Jamal Agnew, a fantastic special teams player. He had some big returns in this game, but he has the fumble when the Jaguars are driving to put pressure on the Chiefs. You score there and you have an injured patrick mahomes who has to kill the clock on the next drive so that the jaguars can't come down and win the game there's huge pressure at that point on the kansas city chiefs i'd like to see etn i'd like to see the star in there at that point lose with your best players right win or lose riding the guys who are the big time talents etn a big time receiver in college we'll see if they take the next step with that the one kind of red mark on doug peterson and the question mark that you would kind of bring back from his tenure as a philadelphia eagles coach where obviously they win the super bowl is that he didn't use the above average running backs in the passing game as much as you would have liked certainly from a fantasy perspective you'd argue maybe also from a reality perspective If Etienne doesn't have that, then he doesn't end up ever developing the ceiling that his talent would dictate that he has.
1: Etienne also uh, did look to be, you know, over the last couple of weeks, back to pretty much one hundred percent of his athletic ability. Obviously, the question marks coming into the season with injuries, for example, um, the heading into next season, there's none of them kind of really remaining for me at the moment. So that was a positive to see. And one thing you want with these teams who maybe don't advance or don't get to the Super Bowl at the end of it like what happened with Tony Pollard you don't want to see them you know picking up those injuries at this point to put them in jeopardy for next season so uh good to see ETN back you know to kind of full capacity it would appear. The other team Sean making it true is Cincinnati and they beat the Buffalo Bills this was a snow affected game. Cincinnati like they did in that game which obviously ended and was postponed for the uh, Damar Hamlin situation. Uh, they go down, they pretty much score early. They put up 14 first quarter points in this one, and then they kind of had control throughout the game. They win 27 10 come the end of it. I thought that the Cincinnati Bengals done a really nice job here of putting a lot of pressure from their defensive side on on Josh Allen, making it very, very tough for him. Has no touchdowns, one, one interception, 265 yards passing on 42 attempts, and he only completed 25 of those. Has a rushing touchdown, 26 yards rushing. They struggled to get anything else going on the ground, did Buffalo. And that was also because they were kind of in catch-up mode throughout the entire game here, trying to move forward. Disappointing day for Stefan Diggs. His 10 targets, 4 receptions, 35 yards going his way. But not a huge statistical day from uh, Joe Burrow here, but he has 242 yards passing, two touchdowns. Lucked just so much in command of this offense. And I have to say as well, we're talking about kind of some of the schematic things from the Bengals. I really thought that they'd done a great job here. You touched on the offensive line issues earlier in the show. They kind of were getting the ball out quick. They were doing things that would avoid the pressure really getting to Joe Burrow. He just has the one sack in this game, lost two yards on that. So I thought they'd done a fantastic job from that aspect. T Higgins, you mentioned earlier, disappointing day. Three for 28, just the four targets for him. P Ryan has five receptions of five targets, 31 yards. Hayden Hurst is 51 or 59 yards and a touchdown of five receptions. And, jamar chase has five for 61 and one off eight targets so they kind of played a little bit of a kind of a a ball control game to get the the job done they give 20 carries to Mixon 105 and a touchdown for him and i thought he looked as good as he kind of has this season and this matchup as well chase also sean interested to get your thoughts on this Uh, has a touchdown overturned for uh, not a completed catch I think we. I, I haven't talked to you about this, and I think we may differ. I've seen a lot of discourse on, on Twitter and so on, and that is a catch. It's definitely a catch. It was one that I didn't think was a catch, and I thought the correct call was made at the end because he's going out of bounds. It's different if he's landed in the field of play, but it's the same as the one foot or two foot down as you go over the sideline. What was your thoughts? Was it a, a catch? Was it a touchdown? What was your thoughts on the Jamar Chase non-touchdown call?
3: Yeah,
2: well, some of these things where... As you listen to the officiating experts,
1: oh, that's when you're meant to mute your TV, Sean, when that starts on the. On the
2: well, broadcast. but I mean,
1: <laughs> their rate is not good.
2: I mean, they've been they've been fine. There, there, there was one. I'm I'm forgetting the exact play. There, I think there have been one or two plays this season where they clearly explained it wrong, and there have been a lot of plays where after replay. A very questionable decision was made <laughs> and so replay hasn't fixed a lot of the problems the issue with this is that i think people still don't understand what the rules are really telling you that's one of the things that came out as gene's territory is explaining this is that the level of difficulty that he has in going through the different parts of this shows you that there's still plenty of flaws because jamar chase catches the ball gets two feet down in the end zone you know, you've got a touchdown. The ball is not knocked away by the ground. It's knocked away by a defender. And so.
1: But the ball is moving when he hits the ground and you have to carry it through the catch. I agree. It's complicated, but I did feel like this one was, you know, the ball is moving and it's not caught. I think part of it is that maybe I've just been broken down by seeing some of those calls all season long. And now I'm like, well, that isn't going to be given as a catch because it's not fully completed. But. It's like that one of like when you're going out of bounds and you touch your toes, if the ball is jugg- they they use the word juggled a lot or is the ball moving. And I think the issue they were saying is he never had complete control until he lost control when he hit the ground. But
2: well, he has control and he scored a touchdown. I mean, if the defensive players, if the defensive players, after you've scored a touchdown, if a defensive player can then hit you and knock the ball free, then you've got you know, all kinds of additional problems. You're going to have all of these brutal hits in the end zone. You're going to have the situation like you had very sadly in the Georgia-Ohio State semifinal game. I mean, those aren't the things that we're looking for. Once you've got a touchdown in the end zone, the difficult part, kind of like you're saying, is that it's been tricky to determine, and the officiating experts have struggled to explain on a lot of different occasions whether, like what contact as part of the catch determines if you've got to go to the ground and make the play are you going down as part of the reception or do you get two feet down and then you're hit and knocked out of bounds and we've seen it looked like we might have a couple of other plays overturned throughout the course of the weekend I'm like the Devonte smith catch for example where a guy catches it he's got two feet down he's got the ball and then he's hit and then he goes out of bounds I mean, I, but the problem is, just these things are all very bang bang, and so it's difficult. And I don't—I mean, I don't envy the officials the decisions on that play because it's still not articulated in a way that eliminates judgment calls, which is the whole idea. Is you're trying to get a li- as little of that as possible.
1: Yeah, it definitely goes to judgment calls, and it can, gets very subjective. And I think that's where the the tricky part is. And the one part that I agree when I do see it on social media or see people talking about it is people watching the game should be able to say like that's a catch or that isn't a catch and with that one i would imagine 80 percent of the people watching are saying that is a catch and that's where it gets tricky for the game but you just touched on a couple of things there you know the, the taking the ball to the ground the part that always gets me is like did he make a football action and the football action is so subjective as to like sometimes they say that just means he has to turn upfield, like turn his head in a direction so there's a lot of uh you use the right word they're very subjective uh, when we're looking at these calls but with that, the Bengals didn't need it to get the win. Obviously, those calls become a lot more controversial when the team ends up losing. But they win the game, they settle for a field goal there, they get the W. And Joe Burrow as he's progressed. We talked there a little bit about progression over the last couple of years of Trevor Lawrence and how that leap has happened for him. But Joe Burrow, and I would say even particularly in the second half of the season, it seems like the the you know, the cliche phrase is the game is slowing down, but he's he's so much in, in command of this offense and just looks like a, a an elite level quarterback and obviously we have Josh Allen on the other side who is in that mold as well Joe Burrow just is one of those guys who I don't know th- there's no fear in his play and I-, I can't wait Sean to see what happens with them and the, the Chiefs this coming weekend but we will be talking about that on our shows later in the week we'll have them coming your way as well that is going to wrap up our divisional recap though Sean did tease it I, I always say here with OT, make sure now you are subscribed to the Road of His Overtime podcast feed to get those shows because the cadence could change. There could be bonus shows throughout the offseason, for example. Make sure you get the notification and get them available once they drop. The same this week with Stadium Bananas. The guys are hoping to record right after we finish this. It probably will come out a little bit later, probably on the Tuesday morning. But if you are subscribed to Stadium Bananas, you will get that instantly once it is available so subscribe to both of those obviously subscribe to all the other road radio network content lots of great shows to go throughout this off season but that's going to finish us up today my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter add over to marlin my co-host as always sean siegel check out his work up on rotaviz.com. until we are back have a good one Thank you for listening to Overtime and Rhodeves Radio. Please rate and review the RoadVez Radio Podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at RhodevesRadio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rhodeves Radio. And remember you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rhodeves with a discount through the Rodavis Radio homepage,
3: roteviz.com forward slash podcast. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.